Well, praise the Lord. Everybody's in church this morning. I'd rather be in church than the best hospital in town. Of course, I don't know if there is such a thing as the best hospital in town. Praise the Lord. Amen. I got a message this morning. I, I started, uh, if you, our last session, I was talking about uh, pursuing and, and pursuing the, the impossible and different things like that. This seems to be a bent that God has me on. I've been praying and and, and as I pray every week for a message and what he's, what he's given me, not just a message, but he gives me several words and different things like that. From that, I get a message and we put it together. And what I've uh, got as, a, as far as the message this morning is, is, is along the same lines. It seems like God is speaking right now. Dig in and keep, keep pressing forward. Don't falter. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. But keep pressing forward in the things that God is doing. And whenever I get a word like that, I know God is about to outpour something. He wants his church in the right position. Amen. Uh, if you're not in the right position, if you're a Christian, and you, the, what is your correct position to be in? The correct position for you to be in is a position that God has you pr um, promoting the kingdom of God going forward. Also being willing to carry out his will that he wants to do here on the earth. So we submit our wills to the Lord and then we do the will of God to get the, to get the heaven on earth experience, or heaven, I like to say it this way, uh, when heaven invades earth. So how long do we stay in Key West? How long do we stand until heaven has invaded earth? This is what God has us here for. So as a church, this is what we do. In, do, in saying that, it is, I, I realize it isn't always easy. I realize the things we go through and the, and the, the, the depravity and stuff we see around us a lot of times is not easy, easy to take. Uh, it's even harder for us because we deal with kids. We see kids in different places and, 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 and wrecked homes and different things like that. But that is no excuse what we do. We, you can't get into the emotional side of it. You've got to get into the spiritual side and begin to break the stronghold because there's one common enemy that we all have. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers of darkness, and rulers of this world, which is, which is Satan. This is why God wants to invade with his presence so we can push back the powers of darkness and, 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 and declare those things to be so. Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, the title of my message this morning is The Power of Persistence. Uh, I, I was, when I studied for this thing, I was going over and, and God was just showing me these different scriptures. I probably have more prepared here than I'm going to be able to give you in this session, but this is going to be uh, something that we're going to be talking about. This is a, a message I believe is current that everybody needs to hear today. One shape or form, whatever you're going through, you need this message this morning, praise the Lord, from the Word of God, not just what I speak, but from the Word of God. Let's go ahead and begin this morning. I want to start this morning. Now, when I talk about uh, uh, persistence, how many in here are stubborn? The rest of you do have your hands up, you're lying. In church, no less. Watch out, the ceiling might come down. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Come on, we all have a stubbornness to us. When, we, when there's something that we want, we're stubborn, aren't we? I'm not talking about that. Me included. I'm not pointing fingers. Uh, uh, my wife of 51 years will tell you that I can be stubborn at times. That's all I'm saying about that. We're leaving that go right where it's at. Praise the Lord. But persistence is not talking, I'm talking about the persistence. When I talk about persistence, I'm talking about being persistent towards the things of God. I'm going to give you the scriptures for this morning. I want to start, though. I want to start out here. It's going to seem strange, but I want to start out in Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there this morning. Proverbs chapter 3 uh, in verse 6. 
And it says this, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Let's take that, I'm going to break it down, tell you what the Hebrew says, but let's say, in all your ways acknowledge him. What is all your ways? Whatever path you're traveling, whatever, whatever bent you're on at this particular time, whatever you think you're doing, uh, uh, let's acknowledge him. So basically, what, well, what if you're, what you're doing isn't correct? What if it's, uh, uh, it's kind of worldly? What if it's kind of... So acknowledge him. Acknowledge him in it, and basically he can turn things around, situations around for you. Let me, let me go over that word. It says, all your ways acknowledge him. I came in this morning. I guess I got here about 7.30 before the service. I like to get here early. And uh, I, I, no matter how early I get here, uh, Elder Skip is always here ahead of me. I don't know if he sleeps here. I don't know if his wife is kicking him out. Suzanne, did you kick him out? No, he just comes, he just shows up here. But anyway, he's always here. The lights are already on, the doors are on, and I just, I just walk in to the church. And I, I was here early this morning, and it just, it just going over some things, and, 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 and Skip is always there. So what I do, I come in the door, he always acknowledges me. He always says, Good morning, Pastor. Good to see you, Pastor. And I say, Morning, Skip. And, and, we, and I go to my office and, and try to wake up and uh, get a cup of coffee so I can wake, do that better, waking up and, and everything else. So, anyway, so the, but that acknowledgement, that's not the acknowledgement that we're talking about here this morning. The acknowledgement we're talking about here this morning is yada in the, in the Hebrew. And if you speak Hebrew, no, I did not say it correctly, and my accent is, is still American. So praise the Lord. But the, 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 the word is yada, and yada means recognition, to know by experience. It's not just a, how do you do, God? Remember me. Here I am down here struggling. Remember who I am? No, no, no. That's not, that's not the acknowledgement. To acknowledge God is, by, I know by experience, if I lean into his presence and I acknowledge the, the, the works of the Lord, I know that he can direct my paths and he can help me with the next decision I got to make so I can make smart ones. I listen to some of the new moms and stuff. They bring their kids and their little kids is high, you know, and they say, now let's make good choices this morning. The kid don't even know what a choice is, but we're going to make good choices. I want to say to the parents, you make good choices, hallelujah, and he'll direct your paths. Praise the Lord. But it, they're, we're teaching our kids to make good choices. Now, is that a good choice, honey? I don't know. But uh, it was different parenting than what I was used to. Uh, they, they never asked me a question when I was a kid. Just told me, do this. And that's what you did. Why? Because you suffered the consequences if you didn't. But anyway, that's, that's something. Anyway, but, uh, so, so let's make good choices this morning. But this, to acknowledge God... It's not just a recognition, but also to know him by experience. This is what the word means. So yada means, I know God by experience. I need to consult God. Wait a minute. I'm about to do something. I need to consult him for a minute. Just let me consult the Lord before I commit to this, or before I commit to that. I've, God has taught me to do this in ministry because I have one thing in ministry. My word is my word. I don't break it. If I say I'm going to do something, be here, or whatever, at that time, I'm going to be there. Amen. No matter what, this is your word. Uh, God uh, doesn't forsake his word. I don't feel we have the right to forsake ours. Amen. Amen. So I'm careful on how I give my word so I don't ever have to break my word. Amen. Well, I've been in this town for 32 years, and I, I only thought I was going to be here for a couple of years when I first came to Key West. I said, well, I'll just come a couple of years, see if I can help somebody, and I just leave and go someplace else where we can really start a church. And God says, nope. He says, stand. 
when you've done all the stand, stand there for where you learn good about with the truth. When God starts speaking like that, we're in for the long haul. That's all there is to it. And we're just in it. And I just concede to that because why? Because I learned, learned this. So the, the experience of his presence gives us opportunity to re-examine our values. I'm going to say that again. The experience of his presence, God's presence, the experience of God's presence, gives us opportunity to re-examine our values. This is a perfect scripture. This is where I want to start off this morning. So are we doing okay so far? All right, well, cheer up. It gets worse. Praise the Lord. In, Luke, if you, in your same Bible, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 9, verse 62. This is, this is a scripture. Matter of fact, uh, a few years ago, we had an artist in the church. And what she did, she made a painting, and she says, um, Pastor, I'd like to make a painting uh, go along with Scripture. Uh, what would you like the painting to, to look like? I said, this is one of my favorite Scriptures. I said, it spoke to me early, my early, early years in Key West. I said, it really, really speaks to me today. And Luke chapter 9, verse 62, But Jesus said unto him, No one having put his hand to the pile looks back as fit for the kingdom of heaven. So she did a painting out there. She put it in the NIV version with a scripture underneath it. But, but we lay our hands to the plow, that's the work of God, and we don't look back. That means our regrets are not there. We have no regrets for serving God. We have no regrets for where he's going. We have no regrets whatsoever, but we keep on moving forward. Amen. And that was, keeps us fit. And I want to break this verse down for you a little bit this morning so we understand what we're talking about. It says... Uh, uh, Knowing having Jesus and knowing having put no one having put his hand to the plow, that means we're already committed to the plow. How many know what a plow is? Maybe I'll go back because I'm a farmer, but so many people aren't used to farming. Back in Jesus' day, as he was speaking, as the, he would, he, there would be farmers there, they would know exactly what he was talking about. They'd have an ox uh, uh, or uh, uh, you know, a, a, a draft animal to pull a plow, it was a single. Um, mulberry plow or single hook plow, however you want to say it, what kind of plow it was, had two handles this way. And basically the farmer had to hold the plow in position. And he guided the, the beast, it would be usually oxen back then, and to going straight. If he lost his attention and he began to look back and look around on how good he was doing or whatever to admire his own work, he would inadvertently turn the plow and run the pharaoh off mess up the whole field, and the planting all goes wrong, and then, and then of course, the planting is wrong, the harvest is wrong, everything is like domino effect. So it's very important for the farmer to stay fixed. And what they generally did, now I didn't, I didn't uh, when back in the early days, years ago, when I lived up in Michigan, I didn't farm with, with animals, I farmed with a tractor, but the same thing. What we used to do is I hit the hydraulics, the plow would come down and go into the earth, and I would pick on the other side of the field, I'd pick a tree. Or, or a stone or a rock, and I would head the tractor on my first furrow, on my first line, I would head the tractor right towards that thing. I wouldn't take my eyes off that fixed point because I wanted to night that first furrow is straight. Now after that, it's real simple with a tractor because all you do is the one tire will go into the, into the, into the, the, the part you just plowed, and you'll have, a, you'll have like a track. You just have to Keep the tractor wheel in there, and you'll just in the next one, and of course, you get the next one, and so on, and the next one. But that first one, to keep that thing straight, if you run off, the whole entire field is off. And then you, have, you fight and you try to, try to get it back uh, when you go to disc it and all the other things and all the th terms I'm mentioning, only farmers know. But anyway, the fact is, it's not going to go well. 
Jesus was saying the same thing with the kingdom. If you come into the kingdom, you lay your hands across the plow, because why? The kingdom of God, okay, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The, 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 the kingdom of God is everything that God has given us, everything that he wants done. So the kingdom of God is what God wants done in, in the earth. So we're working his plan in the earth. But he says if we get distracted from those plans, he said it's not going to go well. And the furrows that we're making are going to go crooked. And now you're going to work harder and harder because they didn't plow the field right to start with. Amen? And everything from there, from there on. Let me go back to the, to the, to the Greek in this, in this case. No one, have his, no one putting his hand to a plow and looking back. That word looking back is a phrase in the Greek, and it means to turn the thoughts, direction of the mind, a thing to consider or to contemplate, to look at, to weigh carefully, to examine. Now, I wrestle with this thing sometimes, a lot of times. I've been in Key West 30 years. We've watched thousands of people come through our church and some move away and some come back. And there's always this temptation to look back on what we used to do years ago, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, when things were, 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 were seem, seemed to be better, fuller in the church and so on and so forth. And if, whenever I get into a mode in prayer and I'm not catching myself, God always says, wait, 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 what are you doing? Look ahead. Look ahead. This is the hour you live in. You don't live back here. You live up here. And he said, there's people right now that are hurting and dying and, 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 and Satan is having a field day with them. He said, this is what you need to focus on. He said, keep up to date. So every once in a while, God will pull me back. Don't, don't start looking back. So I don't look at this. Now, if you read a lot of commentators, what the commentators are, well, you know, you're, you're, you're not really in the world. You, they, they, they acquaint Genesis chapter 19 where Lot's wife turned back. She really wasn't back to the world, but she was looking at the world and turned into a pillar of salt. They use those examples, which probably that's the best example. It's not about going back into the world and, and, and denying Christianity. It's not that far back. Sometimes it's just a glance. Sometimes it's just forgetting what God's about to do tomorrow that he's already told you. Sometimes it's just about not, it's, it's, this little, it's those little things. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine, the Bible says. It's not the big things, it's the little things. The little things mount up and add up to big things and cause us problems. Are we here this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. Then the word fit. Anybody who looks back is not fit. What it means in the Greek, the word fit, is not physical condition. What it means, what it means is to be well-placed or useful in the kingdom. So as we know by the will of God, just by this phrase right here, don't look back. He wants you to be useful in the kingdom of God. To be fit is to be useful. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> Are we useful this morning? <clears throat> okay, praise the Lord. <clears throat> so it's not just about uh, 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 turning back or backsliding, as we say it. It's about glancing back. Uh, it, and to be fit means that we are well-placed, <clears throat> to be fit, well-placed, and that we are useful in the kingdom. <clears throat> One of my favorite things to do, matter of fact, it, lately it's only been my, my only activity other than pastor and being you know, here about the ministry. <clears throat> One of the things I like to do, I like to scuba dive. And um, <clears throat> this type of scuba diving that I do is generally <clears throat> always deep diving, that's uh, diving below uh, 66 feet uh, into the hundreds of feet. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and this is what I understand. Uh, I just, um, it came, it came un unknown to me this week. I guess uh, people tell me I got a year older this week. 
<clears throat> and uh, they reminded me that I got a year older, and they're celebrating that I got a year older. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway, I, I got a year older. I f realize every year, October 7th comes up, I get older. And uh, so, but in the sport that I like to do, the type of diving I like to do does require certain physical condition to stay fit so you can stay safe. Uh, I like doing what I do because I don't intend on dying at it, praise the Lord, though I have had to recover some that had but I, I, I don't like to do that. I like to keep myself fit and conditioned. So what happens, it means for me to do that, to do what I love to do, I gotta do some things that I hate to do. How many can guess what the things that I hate to do are? Yes, I don't like push-ups. I don't like uh, riding my bike for, for eight miles. I don't like doing these other things, all the things that I do. But I know that my body likes, doesn't like these things because it complains to me all the time I do it. I don't like it. My body doesn't like it. Why am I doing it? Because I know the conditioning is there. And with the conditioning there, uh, uh, hallelujah, joy in the morning. I can go ahead and, and go diving and I can do all these things that, God is, that I, I love to do and, and, and I can be in better condition for it. Not only that, my lovely wife of 51 years, she dives right alongside of me. So we encourage each other to keep ourselves in shape and physical condition so we can do what we love to do. So there's a purpose for being fit, but what Jesus is saying, he's saying, no, I want you well-placed. It's not about conditioning. It's not a conditioning of the heart or the mind, but he says it's about looking back. It's a simple thing by looking back. If you study this chapter, I'm not going to go into detail because I want to go to some other things this morning, but if you go to the details of this, you'll find out there's three fellows in there that had excuses that would either approach Jesus. One fellow approached Jesus. Jesus told him what the lifestyle was like, and he said, uh-uh, don't want none of that. And then there was a guy where Jesus said, follow me. And he said, well, okay, I'll do that, but first let me go do this. And then there was another guy who says, uh, he, says, he said, Lord, I want to follow you, but let me do this first. They always had something they wanted to do first. Yeah, I want to do this. I, I, I feel good, but Lord, let me get this done first. Matter of fact, one guy said, sounded honorable. He said, let me go bury my father. Wouldn't that be an honorable thing? I mean, in, in the Jewish culture, uh, uh, that would only take about a day. person dies, they get them in the ground, they get them in the ground in a hurry. It, it, it's, it's quick. So it seemed like Jesus would wait, I mean, 24 hours. But that's not what he said. Because Jesus would easily wait for that, because that had to be covered under the law, had to be done a certain way, and he as a son would have to be involved in that. The, the connotation here, it is his father wasn't dead yet. So yeah, let me wait till all my other things and responsibilities, because you know what happens. I'm the son, and I'm waiting for my father to die. Guess what that means to me? If I'm there when it happens, I get all his stuff. Oh, a little different light on the subject now, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Yeah, I want to be there for the inheritance. And Jesus said this. He said, he says, he says let, the, let the dead bury the dead. Let the spiritually dead take care of the dead. He says, come follow me and preach, the, uh, preach uh, the kingdom of God. So it was the kingdom of God that was preaching the kingdom of God that was set others free is what was put off because he wanted the inheritance. He wanted to make sure he was there for whatever his father left him. Amen? Are we here this morning? Praise the Lord. Now, I did talk, about, I did talk, talk this morning about the title about the power of persistence. So we saw, we saw what 
God is saying, but not looking back. Now we saw what others have come up excuses for, praise the Lord, because there's always excuses. Excuses abound. Uh, um, you know, and we saw how many excuses that abound that Jesus received. Zero. None. So he, God's not impressed by your excuses, praise the Lord. Anyway, I wonder what I wanted to talk about this morning, about two, but I'm, there's another thing I want to talk about this morning, and that's in Acts chapter 14. How many remember the Apostle Paul? It's hard to forget him because he's in about a, you know, two-thirds of the books of the New Testament he's had hand in authorship of, but the fact is, is I want to talk about Paul. There's a certain thing that happened in Acts chapter 14 that has impressed me for years. And if I was to encourage anybody here this morning or anybody watching my live stream, if I was to encourage anybody this morning, it would be this scripture. Paul did not start out good. He sought out as Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. Matter of fact, he stood there. Stephen, the first deacon of the church, was stoned to death. He stood there and held his coat. What does that mean? The man that holds his coat of the man who's dying, about to die of stoning, is the man who accused him. And that man was Saul, which we refer to as Paul. So as Saul, thinking he's doing a godly thing uh, for the, for the uh, Sanhedrin, for the, for the Pharisees in the temple, he's going to teach these uh, Christians, these uh, uh, Christ worshipers, he's going to teach them a lesson. This is the first one, have them stoned. Of course, if you know the story, Stephen looks up to heaven, and it's the first indication we see where Jesus isn't sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's standing. When, Jesus, when you do something to force Jesus to stand up, look out, because your life's about to change for good. So Jesus stood up, and I could just see the picture in my mind as the scripture goes over, and he's looking right down, glaring at Saul. He says, in other words, I've got your number. Saul's coming back to Jerusalem on the road to Damascus. That means he's coming from Syria, going into Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, Jesus, before he gets to Jerusalem, Jesus is on the road waiting for him. This is Jesus after the resurrection. And a great light blinds him. Paul falls off his horse. I like to say his high horse. Falls off, and there he stands. And he says, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, why do, you, why, do you, why do you persecute me so? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus who you persecuted. In other words, you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. Come against my people, you come against me. And he blinded them. And he talked to another man, Ananias, not Ananias in the fire, but another Ananias. And he says, go and lay hands on him. And Ananias said, no, I don't, this guy, this guy he's, he's, he's mean. I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to do this. This is, a, this is a bad assignment. What did I ever do to you, God? Kind of wrestling with it. He said, no, he said, don't. And this is what Jesus said. He says, go to him. He is now a vessel unto me. He's mine. I guess if Jesus showed up in the middle of the night in your bedroom, I guess you'd be his too. <laughs> at any time. So maybe all we need is to see Jesus. Just once. I wouldn't wait around for it. I wouldn't let my, my salvation slip through my fingers until that thing happens. But the fact is, is so Ananias goes, anyway, Ananias goes and lays hands on him. He gets the sight back. From that time on, Saul, which was named now Paul, he picked up the Roman version of his name because he was going to go to the Gentiles, minister to the Gentiles. And so now Paul comes now, and this guy is one tough nail you would not believe. You cannot believe the transformation process. Look at yourself right now. Think of yourself in the worst light you could possibly think of. Now switch 
in one moment, in one encounter with God, switch to that. Now imagine yourself as the best you could ever be for the Lord and for the kingdom. Don't switch too fast. It might jerk your neck into a, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was that like that with Paul. It was literally overnight he becomes a different person. He already has the education and the law. He was already uh, well-versed in the scriptures. His father was a Pharisee, so he knew all the things of, of a Jew. So he was brought up into the church or into the synagogue. He knew all the laws. He knew exactly what. And God says, isn't this funny? The son of a Pharisee, and Jesus tells him, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. In his condition before he met Christ, he wouldn't even walk down the same side of the street as a Gentile. Now he finds his ministry to Gentiles. Isn't that funny how God works? So here we pick up Paul in verse 14. And Paul is going out. He's, he's been to Antioch. He's been to Iconium. And now he's, he's at Lystra. And he's at Lystra. This is a, these are Gentile towns. Matter of fact, if you look at a map, the location of these towns is in what called modern-day Turkey. So he's in already in Asia Minor. See, so he's going in there. And he sits in a, And I like this. He says, in verse 19, verse, Acts chapter 14, verse 19, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul. Now they all got together. They stoned him. They stoned him. And listen to this. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he to be dead. And however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went back into the city. Let me get this picture straight now. He's preaching. He's trying to preach Jesus to a crowd. They already got together with them. We're going to take you out. We're already going to stone you. They've already had the rocks in hands as he's preaching, and where he stands, they begin to toss the, the rocks. He's not in a synagogue. He's out in the streets. He's not, he's not. But the Jews from Antioch, one of the biggest churches going, the Gentiles couldn't, after Christ, had to go to Antioch, was just outside of Israel because they weren't welcome in Jerusalem anymore. They weren't welcome in. So these were Jews that went to Antioch, but you had a group in there, a, a band of rebel rousers, if you want. Anyway, they convinced these other people, yeah, this man is evil. We need to get rid of him. So as Paul is preparing for his message, they're standing there tossing the rocks. Now all of a sudden they say, okay, at the signal, somebody stoned this man. So they killed him where he stood. They drug. Then not only that, they drug him through the streets of the city. He just didn't take him outside to, like they did Steve and tie him up to a, a, a given area, stone him to death, and then go ahead and bury him. They didn't do that. They took him and they stoned him and drug him through the city streets. Now, it says, supposing he was dead, every indication gives us that he was dead. Because he's not going to be alive and let you drag him through the streets. So they drug him through the streets and... If you go to Jerusalem today, the old city of Jerusalem, there's a gate. Well, there's several gates. Uh, okay, they go around the city, and they each have a name, the Damascus gates, and so on. And I took a tour of the city. Well, there's one gate that they call, and it's, and it's named, this is the name, and it's called the Dung Gate. Why do you think they have a Dung Gate in a city? You have livestock. You have, in the city, you have uh, uh, donkeys that pull carts. You have horses. You have, you have cows. You have sheep. When you have a lot of livestock... Uh, sheep for the, for the, around the temple for sacrifices, you have a lot of dung. <laughs> so what it is, to get rid of that, they scoop it up, and they had a particular gate that they throw it out to get it out of the city. So basically what they did to Paul is they drug his body, dead body, through the streets, and they threw him out like yesterday's dung. 
or trash. They threw him out of the trash heap. This is the guy who's given his life to Christ, who's t- trying to, to help and save all of them around him, going to the Gentiles as a Jew, which had to really raise some eyebrows. But you have the Jews that didn't like that message, and this is what they did. Now we have the picture of the, of, 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 of the disciples standing around him, or his, his followers standing around him, and just that group coming together. I'm glad they didn't miss church that day. I'm glad they didn't miss the power of God that day because it was the power of God that raised him from the dead. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't even, there's not even a mention that they even prayed. They just stood around. That's what it says. It says in, in verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. What city? The city he just got thrown out of. The city, they just stoned him. He gets back up, and it's almost like, I didn't finish my message yet. Why? That call to that city was a God-given call. Him raising up from the dead was a God-appointed miracle. Now, we're not going to waste this miracle by cowering and turning our backs on what God has given us. We're going back into that city. Come on, we're going to go get them. And I'm going to preach and finish the message. That is persistence. And the power of persistence and that what was ingrained in Paul is what raised that man from the dead. There was a power behind his persistence. God knew exactly what he was going to do. So he raised him back up. I could just see him. Hey, Gabe, come here. What? What's with you? You're going to go right back in the same city. Can you imagine that? They can't even kill this man. Can you imagine those people looking at him? Hey, remember me? Still got the marks of the stones on me. Now listen to the truth. Jesus, who you are rejecting, just raised me from the dead. I think he had everybody's attention. It doesn't stop there, because if you read it, it goes on. The next day he departed with with Barnabas to Derby, and when they preached the gospel to those cities, he made many disciples, many disciples. I imagine this testimony alone would have gotten many people saved. Made many disciples, praise the Lord. You notice he just didn't make converts. He made disciples. Can I put out that point, a disciple, not a convert? There's a difference between a disciple and a convert. A convert just makes a decision. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. Does it make a decision to follow Christ? But a disciple makes a decision to follow Christ and to learn of him. There's a difference. The word disciple means that we're learning. We're students. We're learning all the time from God. My question has always been this. When we stop learning, do we stop being disciples? I said, when we stop learning, do we stop being disciples? I mean, that's a question you've got to have to answer yourself. But the fact is, that's what the word disciple means. He made many disciples. And listen to this. Listen to this. It's written right here. He went to, he said, they made many disciples, and they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Lystra is where he was stoned. Followers from Arconium and Antioch, opposers, are the ones that talked the other ones into Lystra into stoning him. So he went back to the same enemy camp that was trying to kill him, and he went back to those places, and he established churches in those places. The Bible said he even appointed elders in those churches. They would have been better off just letting them preach. 
and take their chances. Because once they persecuted him, once they, 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 they've already uh, shared their disdain towards him for whatever reason and carried it out with actions, praise the Lord, guess what? Paul went right back at it. He would not be deterred because the kingdom of God, the heavens have not invaded this place yet. As long as the heavens have not invaded here, I have a job to do. As long as God has not come down to this place yet, we still have work to do. Until the heavens invade Key West, we're still here. Persecuted or not, we're still here. And we'll continue to be here. Because there's a power in the persistence. Because if we can persist for God, He will empower us in areas you can't even imagine. Hallelujah. I am. I'm getting excited this morning. Praise the Lord. He said, then he went on verse 22. He said, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Keep on going. Don't back off. Keep on believing what you're believing. Don't get led astray. Get out of it. Don't go back into the sin. Don't go back into the world. Keep on going. He was exhorting them. Come on, keep on doing that. You see what God has done for me. He's turned my life around, Paul could say. I used to be a persecutor of Christians. Now I am one. Hallelujah. Isn't it amazing how God can turn a heart, one that used to disdain or hate the church or hate Christ for whatever reason, uh, might call themselves an atheist or whatever they want to do, all of a sudden can be some of the best converts that come into the kingdom. But what happens, the church cannot give up. The church can't say, ah, boy, there's no hope for that person. Church doesn't have the right to say that. A church doesn't have the right to say there's no hope for this person or that person or that person. You're here, aren't you? All of us need to save. None are here deserve what we've gotten. Praise the Lord. But Christ has given us the, the gift, given to all of us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. You can't earn Christianity. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Having the revelation and understanding that God has placed us and that, he, and that we are standing in the place until heaven invades earth. Your will be done in or on earth as it is in heaven. Praying prayers, listen to this. I put this in my notes so I won't forget this phrase. Praying prayers that step outside of convenience. Praying prayers. God is calling us in this day and hour to pray prayers that are outside of our convenience. Matter of fact, there's going to be a lot of things in the church that God is going to call a church that may not be convenient. I guess we're going to have to decide which is important, isn't it? Because there's lots of things that God may inconvenience your little life about, praise the Lord, and mine for that matter. But we're not looking at that. But we're looking at what God wants to do. A couple of words I want to be, well, I got, I got a couple of minutes here. A couple of words I want to hone in on this morning. Number, number one word is wait, and I want to talk about patience this morning. Amen. I got those two words. Uh, and well, there's three words. There's running with endurance. I, I'm going to talk about that if I get to it. But I want to talk cover these this morning. Isaiah chapter 40. This is a popular scripture. Everybody knows it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, "Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings uh, like eagles. They shall run and not get weary." Come on, Christian. We're running and not getting weary. Don't talk yourself into something that God hasn't given you. Can I say that again? Stop talking yourself into things that God hasn't given you. If you want to talk yourself into anything, talking about the things that God has given you. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. 
The word wait in the Hebrew, here's where people make a mistake. Wait. Well, I'm waiting for the bus. I'm waiting for my tax return. I'm waiting for, um, I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for uh, that person to say they did it wrong. I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for a lot of different things. Amen. We, we wait. We have a system of waiting. We're waiting for the next day. Maybe I don't like this day. I'm going to wait for the next day. Uh, we're waiting for this. I'm waiting for lunch right now. Hallelujah. I am. I'm hungry. I'm, anyway, but I'm waiting for something. That's not what it means here in the Hebrew. Those that wait upon the Lord is a different kind of wait. That waiting on the Lord means to lie and wait. It's a different focus. Amen? To lie and wait. Not to sit idle, but to wait and anticipate, to stand in anticipation. In other words, God says he's coming back someday, but he says, also says he's going to bring revival. We're seeing miracles. We're waiting at the Lord. I know that our strength is going to be renewed. I know it. I know it. And I'm anticipating it. And I'm in the joy of anticipation. I heard one preacher say one time, he says, it's like when you, your kids are small and it's Christmas morning and they have to wait until they get the, the okay to go and dive into the tree with the Christmas presents. He said, they're sitting there and they're giggling and they're having, and, and, and it, until finally they're, they're, they're let go. He said, that's the kind of wait. We're waiting with such a joyful anticipation of what God is going to do. Is that the church today? I ask you, is that the church today? Are we sitting waiting? Maybe our strength relies upon that, and if we're not having that, our strength is weakening and is fading from us. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That means if it's renewed, you had it once, it went away, and you need it back again. To get it back again, you have to have that anticipation. I'm waiting with anticipation. I know God. God is faithful. I know what he's going to do. I know God will change the circumstances and situations. I know he will. Praise the Lord. The second word is patience. Amen? Let me see if I can get this through before I run out of time. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. Now, I know, if you were in a religious church, brought up in, in religion like I was, you say, never pray for patience. Patience will bring tribulation and tell baloney. Okay, I mean, this, I know where they get that from, but let me, let's, 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 let's look at what patience is. My brother, encounter all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. See, there it is, the testing of your faith. Forget it, chill out, chill out, it'll be okay. Let me get through, hallelujah, let me explain. All right, praise the Lord. And, and verse 4 says, But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. So guess what? God brings us a gift called patience that tests our faith. Why? Because we're standing that we can become perfect and complete and lacking nothing. How many people in here would like to be in that position where they're lacking nothing? Hmm. Man, hallelujah. Wasn't that great? I went to the uh, ecological dictionary of the New Testament and it got a meaning for the word patience. And this took, turned a whole new tide for me. I like this. Here's the definition of repentance from the ecological, uh, ecological, uh, that word anyway, a dictionary of the New Testament. Independent, unyielding, defiant, perseverance in the face of aggressive misfortune, and thus to a kind of courageousness, amen? And thus to a kind of courageousness. It's a kind of courageousness, the patience that we're talking about. Let me read it again. Independent, unyielding, defiant perseverance in the face of aggressive misfortune and thus to a kind of, of, of courageousness. 
not, I put in my own notes, I put in not, uh, not res resignation to the passive suffering that most of the modern use today. Today it's just passive suffering. Patience is just passive suffering. Well, it'll be over, it'll be over. No, 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 this is different. This is an independent, unyielded, defiant perseverance. Independent, unyielding, defiant perseverance in the face of aggressive misfortune. Doesn't matter. Stand. Paul said this way, when you've done all the stand, stand therefore, your loins get about with the truth. When you stand, stare therefore. Then Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2. This is therefore, we also, since the day, we also, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily, uh, easily snares us and let us run with endurance. Endurance is a consistency. And here we go again, patience. I had to put that one in there because the word endurance, what it talks about, uh, the, the Greek word is consistency and patience. Amen? The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy has set before it, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the Father, the throne of God. Amen. The right hand of the throne of God. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Did I give you enough scripture? I have more, but did I give you enough scripture on the legitimacy of perseverance? I don't care what you're going through this morning. I don't care what you've been through this morning. Let's stand and be in perseverance. Because let me tell you something. I, said, I shared it with you uh, our last session. I said, I said, it doesn't matter how you start out. It matters how you wind up. But if you're winding up is the same as you're starting out, praise the Lord, and that isn't for Christ, you're in trouble. Amen? He who endures, the Bible says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Jesus said he grants salvation to those who endure all the way to the end. So we know right off the bat, as a Christian, there's some things you're going to have to endure. And how many know, if there's things we have to endure, there's people attached to those things that we have to endure. Amen. Are you here this morning? Amen. I hear the words come out of my mouth. Yeah. Right, yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So glory be to God. We win. Tell your neighbor that we win. I got, I got a couple more seconds here. Let me give you one more thing. I, I was looking at this thing. I thought this was good, but John Maxwell, he, he does a lot of motivational speaking, different things like this. But anyway, John Maxwell said this. People change in four different seasons. When they hurt enough, they have to. When they see enough that they're inspired to. When they learn enough that they want to. And when they receive enough that they're able to. I'll say that list again. There's four different seasons when a person will actually change. When they hurt enough, they have to. When they see enough that they're inspired to. When they learn enough that they want to. And when they receive enough that they're able to. So I pray this morning that the change that needs to come into your life, that one of these four seasons have hit you to where you're going to, have to, where you're going to make the change. But regardless, we're going to pray in the name of Jesus that, you, that change comes we all, we all are changing all the time. Not just getting older, like me, but we're changing all the time. And Christ is, the renewedness of Christ is continually working on our behalf. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you what you have done in this church. I thank you what you're about to do and what you've been doing continually, Father, in the name of Jesus from the time that it was birthed. I thank you, Father, right now. You're blessing the ears of the hearer. 
Amen. We pray. Bless the ears of the hearer that will take this word and actually put it to practice. The only word that does us good is a word we act on. The only word of God that does us any good is a word that we yield to. The only lifestyle that has victory to it is one that perseveres all things for the glory of God and for his, for, for, for his kingdom. In the name of Jesus, I claim those things this morning over us, and we give you the praise and all the glory. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. How many got something out of the word this morning? Let's stand to our feet. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Amen. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, if you're on live stream and you need prayer, let's go ahead and pray this morning. What I want to do this morning is uh, I'll be glad to lay hands if there's something else you want me to lay hands on for, but let's pray corporately this morning. Can we do this? Yes. You can go ahead. Okay, we're going to, all right, thank you.